This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show. So the game in hand has been played, and Manchester City are now 10 points clear of the rest of the pack. The fat lady isn't singing yet, but she's going through her scales and getting warmed up because Pep Guardiola's side have put themselves into a commanding position as the business end of the season gets closer. While we know City aren't going to take their foot off the gas in the Premier League, that buffer could come in handy as the Champions League restarts this week. We'll be looking ahead to this weekend's match with Arsenal and the midweek trip to Hungary to play Borussia Mönchengladbach later in the show. Also on this week's Blue Moon podcast, we'll hear the second part of our interview with former City defender Michael Ball and Sam Roscoe is asking whether fans should care what supporters of other teams think as social media throws up some pretty extreme opinions. I'm David Mooney and to guide us through this week's talking points, I'm joined by a pair of Murrays. I've got City fan Kieran Murray. Hi, David. And BBC football correspondent and commentator John Murray. Hello. Uh, John, just to, uh, to to start us with, uh, it's your first time on the podcast. Um, it is, obviously, yes. um, you know, the, the title race as it is uh, right now, uh, looking as it is right now. Um, what's what's your gut feeling about how this season's going? It's it, it's it's almost like we're we're not very very confident in saying that it's cities to lose at this point because we don't want to we don't want to jinx it. But like the feeling outside of that, what do you reckon? Yeah, well, I mean, any any uh, supporter of a team, I, I mean, I know I know this from having dealt with so many Liverpool supporters last season when it was an absolute inevitability. Yet, it was like trying to drag an admission out of a stone to try and get any Liverpool <laughs> supporter to actually admit that they were going to win the league. Um, so, I, I can understand that. But, I mean, it's, it's changed quite dramatically, hasn't it? Uh, for instance, I mean, I, I was looking at the table last weekend to see just where City were when they lost to Tottenham and how far they were behind Tottenham. I think it was, was it eight points? Am I right in saying? It was something yeah, it was, like eight it's a massive, yeah. been a massive swing since then. Yeah. So, and that was, that was um, late November, wasn't it? That was late November when Manchester City lost to Tottenham. So eight points there. And yet here we are, you know, really, that's only a little over a couple of a month, couple of months later. And they've got such a commanding lead, not just over Tottenham, where it's a, an absolute gulf now, but obviously over the rest of the field. And, um, you know, I think I think that what we've learned over the course of these recent seasons, where whether it's Manchester City or Liverpool have, have gone away with it, is that once you put together a run of wins like the run that they're on uh, at the moment, Manchester City, it, it's just so difficult for any of the other teams to keep up. And I think that's particularly the case this season where consistency is, is such an issue with virtually every other team. Um, so, so yeah, and um, and I was interested to hear you say that, that how, much, how much it is in terms of, you know, how many points they need to make it mathematically certain. So, um, you know, that looks so achievable, doesn't it? Well, I was going to say, Kieran, it's like, like may, maybe this will make you feel like it's actually... Cities to lose now because uh, as it stands, uh, 33 points mathematically will win City the title. That's 11 wins in their final 14 games. But of course, they play Leicester, who are on 46, and they play United, who are on 46 as well. So it could well be it, it could well be fewer than that that they need. Uh, yeah, well, I think John's hit upon the, the key word from this season. It's been consistency. Um, nearly every team, when you look at them have had patches of form and have little small runs and, and fallen away again. And what is it? Has there been nine different leaders of the Premier League at some point? But as soon as City have, have grasped that and grappled it, it just seems as if there's no looking back. Um, 11 wins and 14 sounds a bit daunting. 
Um, and then you sort of realise that the 10, 10 points means three wins and a point that, you know, somebody would need to amass upon us while we fall back. And it just doesn't seem it just doesn't seem plausible that we're going to fall away when so many other teams have to play one another and there's been so many crazy results elsewhere. Yeah, and John, you, you look at, at City's fixtures. I mean, even the next five Premier League games, West Ham, United and Leicester are in there. Um, if they can come out of that unscathed, then you kind of go, well, look, just imagine the position they could be in at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... Um... And they, they just look so formidable at the moment, don't they? And that's down to the fact that they have so many players in form. And when you've got top quality players who are in form and you have most of the team, I mean, the last time I saw them, um, you know, looking down the team sheet, you know, they were, they were all in form. I think, I think I reckoned, I reckon nine out of the 11, this was when they'd won at Anfield. I think that day, you look at nine out of the 11, you would say are, are in close to their very best form that, that, that started the match that day. So, so once you have that, and you know, that's, that's a triumph of organisation, isn't it? That's a triumph of management, of organisation. And, and I think, you know, from a, a personal point of view with the players as well, to, to get themselves into that position, that's, that's why they are where they are. Yeah, Kieran, um, just looking at that run as well, like even if even if they don't beat United, Leicester, and West Ham, you know, if you beat one of them or if you beat a couple of them, or you you make sure that they don't win, then yeah. it just pushes that, that. It just keeps that gap as as wide as it can be, and it pushes the deadline just a little bit closer, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. At the business end of the season, as you said in the intro, it's just I think it's been a, a master stroke of Guardiola to kind of navigate the difficulties of the autumn and winter kind of games. Get through like we looked at the fixture list and thought February looked like the hell month that was going to come, and we've, you know, put four past Liverpool, put three past Spurs, put three past Everton, and you kind of look at the games upcoming and and go, yeah, um, as long as we get something, there's enough of a there's enough of that buffer now with ten points. The game in hand, this kind of game in hand that was that was. Um, Kind of underpinning everything, you know. Now that it, now that it's caught up with us and we won it, uh, it just looks kind of unassailable. I, I think, and it's 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 going to be really difficult for anybody to catch us. It, you can tell now more and more pundits and commentators who were kind of reluctant to come on board with it and completely confirm that they thought City were going to, you know, were, were favourites. They're, they're they're nearly all nailing the um, putting the final nail on the coffin now and going, yeah, I think it's City's now. Yeah. Uh, one hand on the trophy kind of thing. I don't want to say that myself <laughs> uh, as a City fan. I don't want to, I don't want to speak too soon, but it, it, it looks pretty good, doesn't it? It's, it's pretty remarkable how, uh, how we've turned it around from the swing earlier. It does. The, uh, the win at um, Everton on Wednesday night, John, was uh, it, it was City's, I think, 17th win in a row. Uh, mm-hmm. It's 25 games now since they, uh, in all competitions, since they've lost. Uh, in that time, only one team has taken the lead against them. Do you know who it is? Hmm. Now, who was that? That uh, what, what uh, when uh, was it? West was it West Brom? No, uh, West no. Brom. West Brom got the equaliser at the Etihad. Oh, uh, it yeah, was the Diaz own yeah. goal. Um, it was Cheltenham in the FA Cup. Oh, of course it was. <laughs> the only side to take the lead. Yeah, of course it was. I, I, funnily enough, I was looking at that a couple of weeks before the Liverpool match. But as you'll as you'll discover, in in my world, uh, facts go in into my head and out <laughs> of my head very quickly. And so that was it. Was Alfie May, wasn't it? It was. 
Alfie yeah. May. Uh, yeah, that's right. Of course, it was Chad. Yeah. I, should, I, I should have known that. I, I don't blame you for not knowing because I, I you know, I, I work in news, and people always say, "Oh, you'll be good at quizzes because you because you work <laughs> in news." It's like, no, no. What I do is I revise a topic really intently for twenty minutes on the day, and then yeah. after that, it's gone. Don't worry, so don't gone. worry about Absolutely. it. Absolutely, that's that is that is exactly how it is with me. Uh, <laughs> And, and plus the fact, I think getting older is also a factor in that as well. I don't seem to remember <laughs> things as well as I used to. I'm not having any of that whatsoever. Um, <laughs> right, uh, let's let's talk some individual players because um, Kieran he wasn't he wasn't involved in uh, Goodison because he went off against uh, Spurs. Uh, but Ilkay Gundogan, um, he, he could have been a big miss at Goodison, couldn't he? Um, but the machine yeah. just kind of carried on doing what it needs to do. It's interesting how often City are being compared to machines at the moment. It's it's like watching an episode of Inside the Factory out there uh, <laughs> with um, with Guardiola in the uh, Greg Wallace role, of course. I know it's um, Greg Davis, but he's uh, he's Taskmaster, and um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a different that's a different Inside the Factory, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, he's he's just one component in a in a bigger machine, and at the moment, and kind of John's touched upon it with uh, how many players are 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 in good form. It just seems like we were set up in such a way that everybody knows their job and everybody knows their role and everybody knows the overall setup and what's being asked of them. So if one bit of that machine is missing, another cog can come in and kind of do that job or a similar job. Um, Gundogan has just been an absolute breath of fresh air this this year, really. It's it's more so the tail end of 2020 into 2021. Um He's just come into his own and he's, I don't think he's a different player per se because we always saw the flashes of him, but he's just relishing, you know, whatever role and the freedom that he's been given and arriving into the box. It's, um, I haven't seen this comparison too often, but it's, he's getting Yaya Toure-esque numbers from, from midfield and some of his finishing and some of his play is actually in a, in a really strange way reminding me of what Yaya brought to City. I know they're yeah. two very, very different players, but on the face of it, but, um, yeah, just a, a, a wonderful guy and uh, it's it's thrilling for him because he's had his injury problems and he's been in and out of the squad. And now, look, we, we were... I don't know if anybody was actually frightened of you know him being missing out in the way you kind of are with, with maybe other players. But that's I think that's testament to City this season in that Aguero can be out or De Bruyne can be out or even Gundogan can be out. And... It's it's not it's not as terrifying anymore. It's not as it's not as worrying for you as a fan watching because somebody else will come in and and look. We still got three goals against a great side in Everton. Yeah, uh, that that record, John, is uh, is eight goals in his last seven Premier League games. Uh, he scored back to back Premier League braces as well. These are numbers that that were unheard of for for someone in Gundogan's position, you know, eighteen months ago. Um, what what do you make of him the way he's been playing? Well, I think it's a tribute to City that they can just have a reshuffle and, and cover for him when he's not involved, as he was against Everton. I would say that I, I have a bit of a feeling that he's always been capable of doing this. And I think possibly he himself knew that he was capable of, of performing the role that he's performing this season, which is probably why there was that talk a couple of years ago of how he might move on, how he might go back to Germany, um, because possibly he was slightly frustrated. But, uh, I mean, I've said a couple of times during commentaries this season that maybe it's too simplistic, but the fact that David Silva is not there anymore 
really has given him his head and and given him the opportunity to step forward and play the role that he has this season. So I think, as I say, I think he will feel that he's always had it in him because I think he is as well-spoken and as intelligent a footballer as you'll hear um, in, in, in the modern game, you know, and, and in the time that I've been covering football, you know, players have become better talkers and, and better able to express themselves, I think, because of the, the media world in which we all live now. So, so people are growing up and being used to having a microphone in front of them. But he, he just speaks so well. And, you know, he's still an improving footballer. And yeah. I think this season we've seen him develop into the, into the player that probably he always thought he was. Yeah, now I, I might be jumping the gun a bit here, John, and putting two and two together to get five. Um, but I, I've, I've got a feeling I've heard you somewhere say that if uh, if you were to don a pair of football boots, you would also be donning a pair of goalkeeper gloves. Am I right in that? You are right. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if I was just putting two and two together with your height as well, because I know you're a tall, <laughs> I know you're a tall fella. Um, what did you make of that that ball from Edison to uh, to Gundogan for <laughs> for the third goal against Spurs? Do, do you ever reckon you uh, you could ever pull off something like no, that? No, <laughs> absolutely not. Distribution when I was playing, distribution was uh, some, uh, was a bit of a, an alien concept to uh, to goalkeepers. Um, I mean, listen, yeah, Edison. And Allison as well, the way that that it, those two in particular, I think, they, and and this comes from Manuel Neuer, doesn't it? I think we should give him credit for that. I think between them, you know, we've seen goalkeeping and uh, and the way goalkeepers play change dramatically over the course of the last ten years or so, and um, and it is it is a different game now, and and you are going to get caught out, and I always think with Guardiola, you know, whenever Manchester City are are caught out. And, and he's, he always maintains that they will not change the way that they play. And, and that, is the, that is the philosophy that they have. I think that's the case with the goalkeepers as well in the way that they play. And, and you will see Edison and Allison playing passes like, like they do. Um, and, you know, it's going to be successful and it's going to be, bring you many more positives than it is going to bring you the old negative. Yeah, uh, Kieran, I, I um, this is it's humble brag time. We might have to put a little siren in there now. Um, <laughs> but I, I had the pleasure of playing at the Etihad uh, a few years ago, and you've never um, mentioned that at all. I, I know I mention it all the time, don't I? <laughs> um, and I just remember, I, I remember putting the ball down for a goal kick uh, on the edge of the six-yard box and hitting it as hard as I could and barely getting it to the halfway line. And then, yeah. like from a standing start, Edison just pops that you know through the middle for, onto the run of Gundogan for him to bring down and, and pop into the net. And I, I, like, it genuinely made me think, I don't think I've ever kicked a football that far in my life, you know. <laughs> they, do, they do practice, you know, David. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I'll, I'll give them that. That's what they do all week. <laughs> We've said so often that Ederson was going to end up with assists, didn't we? Uh, uh, he's yeah. had one before with the Aguero yeah, uh, against... Yeah. Sure, it was against Huddersfield. It was. Yeah. Uh, Aguero still had a lot to do, though, when he kind of dinked it over. Um, but going doing the run, uh, I, I just, we can't really not mention <laughs> poor Davinson ending up with the dirty <laughs> Sanchez when he, uh, <laughs> he, um, he headbutted the turf. Uh, I just added a sort of a comical kind of uh, instance to the whole thing. Um, but no, it was brilliant to see kind of half the players go to uh, Gundogan to celebrate with him and half the players go to Ederson. And then Ederson sort of like with a big grin, giving the thumbs up <laughs> up the pitch, you know. Um, yes, no, an incredible ball. He can, he can blast it, can't yeah. he? There was a little touch there, wasn't there, of, of uh, just in case people don't realise that I've created that goal, I'm going to make <laughs> yeah. sure they do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I, I always think, though, like on a serious point, though, the, the, the one thing it does do, and I'm surprised City don't use this more often, John, because um, with with a kicking ability like that from the goalkeeper and you know the knowledge that you can't be offside from a goal kick... Mm. You can give the opposition all sorts of problems. If you put, you know, when he's fit, Sergio Aguero on the edge of the box, they have to decide if they're going to drop with him or if they're going to allow, you know, the chance that Edison could ping it over the top of everybody to him. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. And, um, you know, the same applies to that. I mean, Pickford's another one as well who's who's capable of doing that when when he's at the at the top of his game. So, um, so yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it is a, 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 a totally valid method of putting pressure on the opponent, isn't it? Yeah. Um, let's talk uh, about how... Uh, John, you touched on it before about how City have been coping uh, without some of the key players and how players have been finding form because this this winning run, um, some of it's been without De Bruyne, Fernandinho, Laporte, Jesus. Uh, all of it's been without Aguero. They've had injuries to Walker. You know, we've barely seen Nathan Ake all season with injury as well. Um, Kieran, it's, it's just... It just goes to show not only the, the the strength in depth that City have got, but the ability to cover each other's job when need be. Yeah, for sure. I I, I think Guardiola's just played this absolutely wonderfully. Um, there doesn't seem to be a fixed start, starting eleven or best starting eleven, let's say. And that's kind of always been the case with City. You know, we've got one or two players for each position, really, who are you know who are top top players. But what's happened this season is that I think. Maybe because there's no fans, maybe because football's a bit strange at the moment, sentimentality has kind of been sucked out of everything. And nobody's playing on kind of on, on an emotional kind of idea. It it has to be just merit and setting up to do the job. Don't rest on your laurels and think you're going to be in the kind of emerging bromance between Stones and Diaz that everybody was kind of loving. It was just, you know, it's just been cut at the minute because we've got enough depth and Laporte's such a brilliant player that players can go in and out and in and out no bad faces and just go in and do your job and you know Zinchenko would be will have been unlucky to play against to not play against Everton last night but it was probably just felt that Zinchenko was not the best option last night that it, you know he wanted Walker at right back um for you know, Everton on the counter-attack and they're kind of quick moving forwards. So then he slotted Cancelo in because Cancelo can move into the midfield then. So it's like, it it's not just the unbelievable squad depth that we have. It's that every, we talked about it already, but everybody has a role to play in this machine. Everybody is a cog that does, a, you know, that does a job that sort of um, con- contributes to the kind of greater good. Yeah, And it's, it's, it's a really, really nice problem and a nice headache to have to bring players in and out and in and out and nobody can you know this the fixture congestion is so unbelievable that you know you're going to get a game three days later anyway do you know it's kind of like I think they understand that there will be games that suit them and will be games that don't suit them and you know if you end up on the bench don't think that you're going to be there forever you know get back into the team on merit or get back into the team because we know that you provide a function in the team when called upon you see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk. Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium, and under every manager. Just go to statscity.co.uk and browse away. 
That's thatcity.co.uk. I think the interesting thing, John, as well, is like this season more than ever, I kind of understand what Guardiola says when when he says like, when you interview him, he always he, he always says, "Well, we'll talk about the, we'll talk about that later. We've got the next game, and we're just getting on with it. It's the next game, next game, next game." And I kind of understand that this year. It, it kind of makes more sense, I guess, in in such a, a, a tight packed schedule. Yeah, very much so. And um, I think management is about finding a way, isn't it? And in the early season, when as Kieran says, when Aguero was barely involved, he had those three starts, didn't he? But uh, but missed the start of the season and then was out again after that. So you don't have Aguero. Jesus wasn't firing. Sterling wasn't firing. And I think, you know, in a strange sort of way, the 5-2 at home to Leicester, because it came so early, maybe did force a bit of a rethink. Because that was that was quite a, a humbling experience, wasn't it, for Manchester City? It was humbling in, for me, I'll tell you yeah, that. <laughs> in, 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 in what was the first home league game of the season, when when the expectation was that City were going to launch an assault on on Liverpool this season, and whether it, whether whether that that was part of it, whether the the form of the forward players and the injuries was part of it or not, I don't know, but it it. It feels to me as though there, there may well have been a thought that there was a necessity to grind out the, the first half of the season. And obviously Diaz is brought in and, and makes a big difference. But they don't know that. You know, that's that. whatever you said, that's a gamble. However however good they, they felt he was when when he was brought in, we know from, from the, the history of football that you cannot be absolutely certain that a player who, who comes to England or to any new country is going to be an instant success. So, you know, I think I think that that feeling that they had to grind it for a period of time and then were very very successful in doing that, um, you know, might might be something that for this season was a complete one-off. I.e., he adapted what he had and how he was going to approach it to the the very unusual situation we're in this season. And then, and then once she had that foundation, once City had that foundation and, and the various runs of clean sheets and conceding very few goals, and then suddenly the other thing, of course, is is Cancelo, which I think is a huge part of City's season, the way that he's contributed. Um, you know, they spent all of that money on him when he was brought in, and you think, what? You know, that's a lot of money to spend on a fullback, and now we see. He's obviously much more than that. And you yeah. know, if that's Guardiola thinking, I can make him into that sort of player and that's how I'm going to use him. I mean, that, that's, that is a brilliant touch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the the interesting thing with um, Guardiola in, and, and this season as well, Kieran, as John touched on it there, they were very much grinding out the results in that, that first half of the season and, and kind of just getting by. Um, and he got that new contract before uh, the defeat at Spurs at a time when, you know, I'll hold my hands up and say, you know, I think I think Guardiola's the man to, to 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 give the opportunity to change this. But before you give him a new contract, I want to see evidence that he's going to be able to change it. Um, well, the evidence has come in the last few weeks, hasn't it? Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, for sure. I I am a huge believer, and I'm glad John touched upon it there. Like, I'm a huge believer in that the, the Leicester game sort of changed everything. Um, you know, that was Guardiola's heaviest defeat ever, maybe certainly a home defeat. Um, and it, that was an embarrassing display. 
uh, three penalties and you know everything was just was nonsense about that and that was a that was a freak but you know Liverpool have had freak results United have had freak results so I think Guardiola kind of stood back and observed what was going on around him and thought we can't be open to sucker punches here and we can't be open to freak defeats where we're we're conceding lots of goals and getting embarrassed so it was really frustrating the um the Eddie had Liverpool game where it felt like Liverpool were there for the taking, but he didn't. I don't even think he made a substitution. You know, there was so things like that in the in the autumn and the winter where he was making decisions, and it was like the nil nil derby as well. It was just dr- drudgery, but all of that was because he wanted to just maintain control, negotiate those tricky times, um, and get through with a foundation. Exactly what John said, a foundation of a great defence, and. Um, and then kind of let the shackles off a little bit. And that's yeah. sort of what started to happen after the derby. Um, the, the bigger picture sort yeah, of thing. Exactly. He did look at the bigger picture while everybody... And it's interesting, actually, when you sort of think that outwardly he does say next game, next game, next game. But actually, he had one eye on a bigger, bigger picture too, where he was like, yeah, we will play next game, next game. But actually, I've got to, you know, I'm going to make a bigger statement of intent here overall and lay things down in the autumn months that will you know that will see us through the whole season and it's it's he's played a blinder really it's it's been amazing yeah Stamford Bridge was quite big as well wasn't it yeah in the midst of when when all of those players were missing to go there and and play so well you know as well as they did that day you know I, I feel that that was that was one of those moments where they they stepped on the accelerator and gave us a an indication of of what they were going to go on to do yeah. Um, let's touch on Riyad Mahrez. Uh, lovely finish to put City back in front at uh, Goodison. Uh, what, what do you think of him in this team, John? Because he's not, well, he's, not he's not one of the shining lights, but he's, no. he's well worth a place. Well, when I, when I was saying about how a couple of weeks ago at Anfield, I was thinking that, that nine of the, of the players were at the top of their form, the very best form. You know, Mahrez was one of the two who, you know, I think, I just feel with Mahrez that he's the one that you think he's capable of more because we've seen it and we know how good he is in the time that he's been here with his development at Leicester and and since then as well. And, you know, he'll have games. It's consistency. (laughs) Again, it comes back to consistency. He will have games where you think he is absolutely top class out, out of this world. And then he'll have other games where he really doesn't, doesn't sort of figure and, and, but but you know such as it ever been with wingers you know that that's a very old fashioned phrase isn't it in that they they will tend to drift in and out of the game but yeah you know I think I think they can get more from him yeah infuriating for you Kieran or uh, are you quite relaxed about his his role at City? <laughs> um, a mixture of both I think David um, sometimes in some games he's infuriating because. You know, he, he he seems anonymous in some games. Everything he tries, you know, doesn't seem to come off. Um, but I, he was involved in all three goals last night, and it was marvelous. Everton couldn't cope with him. Um, that finish for the second one was just just wonderful. I think it, it knocked Ali McCoy speechless, really, didn't it? <laughs> um, and the, the sort of thunk of the uh, of the woodwork as well as it went in was beautiful. But he is infuriating sometimes. I think. You can tell that Guardiola doesn't like players to take uh, shots from distance 
and he, you know, he would always prefer somebody to pass instead of shooting. It feels that maybe Mares is one of the players who's got license to be selfish. It, you know, I, I don't think I don't think it's an accident that you know he is somebody who takes a lot of shots on his left foot, um, and it's infuriating because quite often it doesn't come off, and quite often he, he runs into traffic, and it doesn't seem as if he's got an awful lot of fight in him sometimes to get out of that. And when it's not going well, his body language isn't the greatest. Um, but when he can turn it on, um, his feet are just gorgeous. And what he can do with bringing a football out of the sky and his first touch and, you know, how how he caresses the ball out of the air is just, you could, you know, you could watch that kind of aspect of him all day. But when he's when his head's down and it's not going for him, he is a little bit infuriating. Yeah. Um, I've always seen him as a bit of a luxury player, to be honest with you, David. I thought he was a luxury signing when we got him. Um I don't think he was top of our, you know, wish list in terms of what we absolutely needed at the time. Um, but he's scored some big goals and big games in the past couple of years. And um, when he when he when he comes out with what he did last night, I mean, how could you not love him, really? Yeah. Um, another player that uh, likes to be on the right hand side, cutting in left, is Bernardo Silva. Um, kind of, kind of a bit low key. This it's gone a bit under the radar, John. But he's he's been a huge part of this winning run for City in the last few weeks. Yeah, and uh, and and he was one of those players, wasn't he, in the early part of the season? Where I mean, he he, I would say to you, has been one of my favourite players to watch at Manchester City since since he came to the club, and. Uh, you know, I always felt that he would demand a, a starting position in the team. Yet, with the whole business last year, with the the, the uh, social media post about uh, about Mendy and, and the fallout from that, whether it affected him or not, whether whether you know that put him off his game, I mean, probably he can only say that. But it did seem to have an effect. And then at the start of this season, he wasn't really figuring, was he, as a regular starter in the team? And you did, you did wonder, but he. I'm delighted to say that he has really come back to to his best form, and um, and and again, you know, he's a he's a perfect Guardiola, Manchester City player because he he can perform so many different roles, and you know, I on either side in the middle, even as the as the false nine, he can play there, and um, you know. Um, you know, it, it's so good that he's been able to recapture that form sim- simply. And, 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 you know, that's a lesson that whoever you are, whichever team you play in, you are not immune to patches of struggling for form and not being able to replicate your best. Yeah. Um, let's finish on uh, for the first part of the show on Rodri, Kieran, um, because out of, again, out of the last kind of six, eight weeks or so, uh, he's quietly been been getting better at his job and going about what Guardiola wants of him. Uh, from the start of the season, when I think a lot of us, myself included, were going, I'm just not sure he's cut out to be the defensive midfielder that City need. I, th- I think you've been quoted as saying you wish he'd never played for us again. <laughs> I didn't quite say that. Yeah. I didn't quite say that. I, think, I, I said I wouldn't be upset if he... It was after the Leeds draw. I said, uh, I, I, said um, I felt like I wouldn't be that upset if he never played for the club after that. Right, it's not quite. Well, the it's quite harsh. <laughs> I'll give you that now. Yeah, but okay. Um, yeah, no, he's like like so many players. He's got a role. He knows his job, and he's been given. It's a weird one. I was thinking about this in the week. He's been given help with his job. Somebody kind of is in is being put in beside him to be his legs, and 
I don't know about you, but if, if ever I felt that, you know, some, I wasn't performing in my job, that somebody had to be put in to help me and guide me through, that kind of, you know, made me feel a little bit ashamed. So I would up my game and re rise to it a tad. So I don't know whether there's been a psychological kind of thing where he's like, right, okay, if, I, if I'm performing to such a degree that somebody needs to help me out, I mean, I can't allow that to happen. I can't, can't deal with that. So I'm finding him, I'm finding so often at the moment, um, when when he's when he's doing his job and when the kind of focus is on him, it, it's wonderful. He's breaking up play really well. He seems to be in the right place at the right time, but you know, sort of in and around both boxes. Um, it's penalty when, taker as well now. Don't forget. Oh yeah, <laughs> what a horrendous penalty that was. That one. <laughs> <laughs> Never ever again will he take a penalty. Um, no, but uh, like. I think we were used to because we all love he's a you know Fernandinho a real fan favourite who's done who's done great things for us so we've always been expecting a little bit of a you know a bit of an imp um, Doctor No kind of uh, play breaker upper and Rodri kind of you know he's been given the unfortunate nickname Plaudry hasn't he which which reflected kind of his speed his turn um, I think one of our friends uh, also said HMS Rodri. Which, yes, like, yes. again, John... gives you a window into how he was feeling about him. <laughs> John Bales was a great one there, yeah. Um, but at the, at the moment, it's it's really nice when somebody has criticism on them when they can turn it around. I mean, it's just great to see. You know, we've touched upon Bernardo Silva at times. He was, you know, his form was nowhere last year and for parts of, you know, early this season. Um, and it's great when somebody can turn it around. And Rodri, when Rodri went off against... Um, Swansea last week yeah. wasn't he went off injured I was panicking um, I, I believe Fernandinho was you know the question marks over his fitness so I didn't know whether he could come into the role but now that you know that Rodri's position and function within the team is so concrete and you can see such evidence of what he's doing um, how he's breaking up play but then you know he almost got a, a really nice, nice assist for uh, for Jesus last night only that Michael King sort of intervened Um and yeah, no, he's he's brilliant. He's really, really turned it around, and it's great to see. He's he's a vital cog in the machine now. But you're not a fan of him on spot kicks, though. I've got yeah, um, no, a dreadful, dreadful penalty. Um, <laughs> but I've got a bit of a hot take, a bit of a theory about City and penalties. Um, because we are such a machine, and there are cogs. I feel like I'm repeating myself so much with this cog machine metaphor, but. Um, it seems to be that we are such a team where everybody plays their part and everybody is part of, you know, the kind of the uh, the flock sort of moving together. Um, it seems to be when the spotlight's on one of us, you know, for a spot kick and the responsibility is there for one person to take a shot, it seems to make them crumble, you know, because they're all out on their own and they seem a little bit at sea. Um, and we need that maybe that's why somebody like Balotelli was able to you know because he loved the spotlight being on yeah. him and he, he was he sort of seemed to be out for himself so often um I wonder is that our kind of fear about penalties and you know, I, I just think we're, we're one missed penalty away now from the goalkeeper actually taking one and then another missed penalty away from them just having to do that thing where they pass it because they just can't finish it well that would make more sense that would be a more Guardiola style of thing wouldn't it like a nice little ronda to, to finish it off and six players involved passing it in the net <laughs> yeah sorry John you were going to talk about Rodri yeah I was just saying I mean the biggest thing for Rodri is that uh, no matter what people think of him no what Manchester City fans think of him. His biggest fan is obviously Guardiola because he's mm -hmm. such a part of the uh, the regular starting lineup. So of all of the matches that they've played this season, 
He's uh, he's been in the starting lineup for all but six, and he's appeared in all but three. So uh, you know he is one of the he is one of the mainstays of, of the the team that's doing what it's doing at the moment. And and on the penalties, has been, has Bernardo Silva taken a penalty for City? I can't think of one. You know, actually, off the top no, of my I head, so. no, I don't well, think he, he has. must be. He must be in contention to take one. He's got a he's got a great shot, but. It's, it almost seems to be that these these brilliant finishers seem to be great finishers in the sort of cut and thrust of the game and you know in the, in the live moment when as soon as the ball's put down on that spot and you know they're staring at the goalkeeper and it's them on their own without their teammates and their bodies behind them it seems to be that's when they flake it a little bit you know <laughs> it's such a strange anyway one. listen De Bruyne will take them when he's when yes. he's back and no yeah. he missed he missed the one against Liverpool but. Uh, he's the undisputed first choice isn't he yeah he is I I think although you say say that though John I think think he's taken three for City and missed two (laughs) right so uh, maybe not necessarily the undisputed first choice let's uh, let's see how it goes time to catch up with the second part of our interview with former City defender Michael Ball. On last week's show, he talked us through his arrival at Eastlands and that first season under Stuart Pearce. Where we pick up with him this week, Sven-Goran Eriksson has now been appointed City boss and the club has won its first double over Manchester United in over three decades. Michael begins by explaining what it was like to play in both of those games. That was brilliant. You know, that that's probably one of the the best moments of, of my career at City was because it was getting spoke about. Um... I'm normally not one to listen to media um, or listen to outside sort of pressures. You just gotta, you know, if if you have a poor game, forget about it. If you have a good game, forget about it. It's it's always about the next one, uh, and that's the way I've sort of always been. But for some reason, the the air around the place has totally changed. You know, City and Sven, I think, changed the mentality, not the mentality of the fans, but the it started matching a little bit of the, the fans ambition and where the club were going there was a lot of talk but we would actually get stepping in the right direction we started really well in the league we we're doing pretty well and even when we were winning games Sven wasn't happy because he knew um, we could improve and the players knew we could improve and we were happy that we were picking up points but knew there was improvement there it just wasn't ticking for the full 90 minutes and um, Sven had always pulled us all you know after each and every game where we could improve and everybody understood and I think Sven made it Pretty simple. He didn't complicate things, um, and he, he he basically how he went about it was, was telling us sort of how he wants us to play and how we could play. And when it worked, we knew you know we could believe him what he was trying to put across. But also, if you had if you had a difficult game or have a poor game, and someone else came in, there was no we didn't play anything different. So everybody in the squad, anybody sort of outside the squad just have to sort of keep fit wait for an opportunity whether it's from suspensions injuries or the manager's choice that you're going in and everybody in the whole team knows what your job is and that was I thought credit to Sven and the coaching staff how we went about it because it made it easier for people to settle um, you know, whether you know Petsoff or Alana were coming in we knew what their job was and we just had to have leaders in the, in the team to sort of keep everyone doing their jobs to, to get the results because we're we started, as I said, so good. Um, expectations are high. But then when we were playing the Manchester Derby, we had that sort of a different attitude. There was something in the air that sort of thinking, you know, this could be the time that we can get one over on our arch rivals here twice. And, you know, luckily we did. And it was great that we done. But I think it was more of the belief. Um, we knew we could be difficult to break down. But the players that the club brought in, we had them sort of creativity players. We had that something different, you know, to, to get us... You know, better moments in games that we'll be able to put the ball in the net. 
Yeah, the, the the second derby, especially City, were really good that day at at Old Trafford. Um, did you did you did you kind of feel like on that occasion because it was the the anniversary of the Munich air disaster, it was kind of an opportunity for City to to, to kind of put on a, a good performance, if you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Strangely enough, I did um, because of the the Munich anniversary and the the build up and and the talk about it. It was sort of forgotten about that what position we're in, the strength that we've got, the qualities that we had as a team. So all that got forgotten about. It was more seen to be like it's, it's a Man United day. Um, and, you know, we were just there to concentrate on our on ourselves and make sure we, you know, we'd done a job. And I, I felt that personally, that I was thinking, there was a lot of talk about Munich and there was a lot of talk about, um, you know, the, wearing the special kits and, and, and that was all great. But the end of the day, we wanted to go there to do a job. We didn't want to just turn turn up and and get rolled over um, and, and make it a special occasion for for Manchester United. So our job was to make it difficult. I remember that as the game was going on, you know, I didn't get forward hardly enough in that game because of the, the attack and threat that they had. But as I said earlier, with the the guys we had going forward, that United s- suddenly probably got caught off guard of the mixture of what the quality players we brought through, but also the youngsters that we had with the energy. Uh, the reading of the game um, that we brought that we brought to the table that I think United were a little bit sort of um, I think they just got shocked by it really uh, and just knew that I'm gone. This is, we need to play a lot better than what we're playing to get anything out of this game. And you know, luckily enough, we got we got our goals and we were difficult to break down. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, as well, we we mentioned the euphoria of of uh, the final whistle at uh, at Old Trafford. Uh, what by contrast, what was it like after the final day at Middlesbrough? Yeah, that was a very strange sort of day. Um, Richie spoke to the players uh, regarding um, the European spots through um, you know, fair play. And we didn't really understand how it worked. And I still to this day didn't really understand how it worked. And it was between ourselves and other clubs that we can get an extra spot because of our record uh, on the pitch as players, but also... As the fans, the fans are being great. There's been no no trouble whatsoever. Um, the way Sven and the coaching staff uh, conducted themselves on the pitch, you know, you get points for that as well. Um, you know, we know Sven was a gentleman. He'd sit there, he was pretty quiet. You know, he wasn't never a ranting and rave at the fourth official, you know. Um, so, you know, we, we knew there was an opportunity for us there. Um, and that, that's what we got told. That's what Richie told the players, Um Sven acknowledged it, said, look, there's an opportunity, but look, we still need to do our job. We need to go out and, you know, win a football game. And away from home, you know, throughout that, under Sven's management, we, we tried to be as difficult as possible away from home. And Sven would be pretty happy with a point away as long as you win your home games. Um, so he always wanted to keep us tight and hopefully the star players would unlock the defence and, and we'll snatch an away win. And that was the way we, oh, we set up under Sven. Unfortunately, as the game went on, um, you know, we knew the sense in the air, the way the fans were bad, uh, banners about about the owners and trying to you know, protect Sven, um, keep Sven at the football club. Richard Dunn uh, got sent off very early on. And in my head, you know, if what I said before was true, I'm thinking, oh no, you know, the, the fans are chanting uh, about Sven. Richard was being sent off. You know, we thought... I think there was only a couple of points between us and other teams to get this extra position, um, and I just I think 
our heads just sort of went down that we've just had a massive opportunity to finish the season uh, not where we wanted to be but still an opportunity to play in Europe next season and we blew it um, because of what's just happened and that was I think was felt around the team um, Middlesbrough you know if you look back at every goal well besides one, the one I made a, a, a horrendous mistake for but um, a lot of their goals were wonder goals you know you're thinking in this situation, you go, well, just if he shoots, he's got no chance against our keeper. And the next minute goes top corner, and you're just thinking it's just one of these days, and nothing's falling for us. And every shot Middlesbrough had was basically going in the net. And I think looking right, like Alano came on, and you could see his drive and energy frustrating. He got the ball. I think he ran the majority of the pitch before he scored his goal as well. And it was game was gone by that point, uh, but. Uh, um, you know, I was the captain then after that, you know, when Richie went off and you look around at the players and I think just our self-belief of we've just blew it. We've just blew that opportunity to you know, to finish the season in Europe and uh, because of the circumstances that happened earlier on and it was just hard to get the players going, get up and going again and it was it was difficult. It was really strange, you know, very embarrassing walking off the pitch with the result it was. Um, we sat in the changing room, pretty quiet. Sven, as he did, um, no matter what the result was, always comes round and shakes everybody's hands and thanks them for the effort. And uh, someone whispered in his ear that I think we've made Europe. So it was sort of, while really embarrassing coming home of that defeat, um, that at least we've achieved something, something small that we probably would have took at the start of the season uh, from where we were last year. But the way we started that season and we were in and around, we felt like we sort of failed coming to the end. And I put it... I, I sort of put it down to the workload that we did in training each and every every day, but also our key players, our star players of that year were players who never played in the Premier League before. And they've never played over the Christmas period before. And I think if you look back on the form after that Christmas period, you know, we did struggle. We didn't have that sort of intensity. We didn't have that sort of extra, extra yards to sort of, snatch wins where we were earlier on in the season we were getting them wins and getting them points on the table but after that Christmas period I just feel it took a lot out of our star players especially Alano who was you know Alano Petrov and him guys like that they were all like 10 out of 10 out of 10 each and every game but then they're getting asked to fly to Brazil you know to play games for the country which is great but he's, he's, he's arriving back at Manchester on Friday morning and then we're travelling to Southampton you know, Friday afternoon, and we're expecting Alano, you know, to be 10 out of 10 again. And majority of the time he was. But I think just the workload of it all, sort of, you know, these guys have never always had a, you know, a winter break for, you know, three or four weeks. You know, you don't get that in England. And I think just a mixture of all that, uh, and the rest of us were, you know, good enough to carry them, players. You know, they carried us. You know, we made it difficult for them to, difficult for the opposition so if they did anything special they'll be the the game changers for us but you know I, don't, I just feel that's probably the the issue of that of that season with the workloads the first time it's sort of they've had to witness and and that demands on their body uh, air travel and they're trying to be the best player week in and week out and two or three times of the, of the uh, of a week it just probably made its toll and the rest of us probably weren't good enough to carry them for a pledge of $2 a month, 
you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. The full interview with Michael Ball is available now for Patreon backers. Just have a look at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast for more details. It'll also be available for free on bluemoonpodcast.com at the end of the season. Uh, time to look ahead to uh, this week's fixtures, which is uh, starts with Arsenal away on Sunday and then uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach uh, technically away, but at a neutral venue on Wednesday. Um, John, we'll start with, uh, with the Arsenal game. Arsenal are the latest. In, in what's been described as a tough run for City. Um, as we were talking about in, in terms of the Premier League picture, City have built up a, a little bit of leeway. Does that make negotiating the return of the Champions League a bit easier now? Um, yes, I think it, it, it has to. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sure one of the things, one of the many th- reasons and and, uh, and and things that Guardiola will have wanted to to try and get the team into this position now is ahead of the Champions League, so they, they did have a little bit of um, room to manoeuvre. Um, you know, we we know the sort of teams that he'll put out in those matches anyway. You know, he won't he won't be swayed, Willie, by the fact that they've got this big lead um, for the Arsenal match on Sunday because of the fact they're playing in the Champions League next midweek, and and I think that would be right as well because. Um, I, I covered the Arsenal match last weekend, and with with Aubameyang back, the, the, and okay, he scored a hat trick, so you know it's, it's blatantly obvious that uh, that he's in form and, and to be feared. But there was definitely a different feeling about him and about Arsenal, and I would say don't be fooled by the position that they're in and the, the season that they've had, because with Aubameyang in that sort of form they're a different prospect. Yeah, I was going to say, Kieran, in terms of Arsenal, um, you look at the league table, they're not having a great time of it. Um, like, Do you feel, though, like it's, it's, it's not even a case of which Arsenal turns up? If City are on the game, they've got, they've got enough to beat anybody at the moment. Yeah, um, and I think the FA Cup match last year, was it the semi-final? It was, um, yeah. I think that will have given us enough reason to fear... Um, what it's like to not show up against Arsenal. I don't think City did show up on the on the night, um, and I think Arteta really you know, knew sort of what way City were going to set up and operate, and was able to counteract nearly everything we did. It just it felt like we weren't in the game at all. So yeah, I I, I think I totally agree with what John's saying. Um, we should be very wary of of which Arsenal will turn up and. Um, yeah, they've got some unbelievable players, and they've got a great manager who. You know, has has lots and lots of um, like sort of I don't know background knowledge on you know Pep's way of thinking and um, and how the players operate and what they're like. So, I mean, the only thing we can say and the only sort of optimism that I have on it is that City's rich rich vein of form, uh, you know, is the like of which we've never really seen, and it's it's unbelievable how they're managing games and you know how they're clocking in and clocking out and just putting on their game face and and kind of even the even great teams like I know Spurs didn't really turn up at the weekend but you know Spurs uh Everton Chelsea um Liverpool what we've kind of done with them you know if we turn up the way we've been turning up lately I don't see any reason why we can't comfortably beat Arsenal yeah um it's it's obviously a trip to Hungary as well in uh in midweek John um it, it, it shouldn't make much of a difference because it was going to be behind closed doors anyway. Um, what, what do you make of, uh, of the situation regarding the Champions League at the moment? Yeah, um, 
Well, I suppose they've got little option, have they? And I, I just have a feeling that, you know, are they? Are we going to see a similar scenario to last season, because of the travel restriction and travel difficulties? Is a decision going to have to come from UEFA to say that when they get to a certain stage, you know, that, that they're going to have to look at this as um, as a competition that has to be played in in one venue or one or two different venues, because the 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 travel is making it extremely messy, isn't it? Yeah. And and to play two leg matches is that the, is that the right thing to do? You know, it's I think that's the question you have to ask yourselves. Is it the right thing to do for for football teams to be travelling across Europe at the moment when when travel between countries is such an issue at the stage of the pandemic that we're in? Yeah, Kieran, it's it's interesting as well that um, because because some of the ties will be home and away legs, and some of them will be neutral venues and home and away for for one team in the in the other leg. Uh, the away goals rule is going to be used, um, but like, like for for this instance, like Borussia Mönchengladbach have not got home advantage. Yeah, so they're just nominally the home team. They're not actually. They're they're not actually. T- I don't, I don't get it at all. What, well, they're, they're, are, home. They're, they're in. They're, we're playing in uh, in Budapest. Budapest, so, yeah. yeah. So, I, I I'm really not a fan of the away goals rule. Full stop. Um, so, if ever there was going to be a time where maybe we would do do away with it and you know come up with another solution, um, it might have been this year where some teams are getting or having to play at um at other venues i mean i suppose home advantage does kind of go out the window a little bit without the fans um and you know they're going to lack they're going to lack their supporters being there to kind of g them on um but yeah it's going to feel like an away leg for both teams because they're not getting changed you know in the home comforts of their uh, of their own stadium so yeah it seems a bit of a nonsense that doesn't it really at the at the same time, David, uh, on the away goals rule thing, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of the away goals rule. I absolutely love it, and and <laughs> some of them some of the most exciting football matches and European ties that I've covered over the years have been settled on the away goals rule, and and I know there's an argument to say that it that it it negates positive football, but I think it can also work the other way as well. And another thing in its favour is that it means that there's an extra there's an extra possibility there that the match will be settled without going to penalties and i think that's always a good thing it's definitely a good thing for city right now i can tell you that <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. but then we've been stung with away goals rules in the past and you know gone out and away goals too often so yeah just um, get it done just get it done in 90 minutes lads that's all yes. you've got to do <laughs> yes well that's what you could do at the you could play just with one off matches in neutral venues yeah yeah. Um, there's always talk, John, about um, whether 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 or not City have been a great side without the Champions League under Guardiola. Mm. Um, two titles, they're uh, uh, won already. They're well on the way to the third, as we've been talking about today. Uh, three League Cups. He's won an FA Cup. Uh, he's got the possibility of winning those two again this season. It, it feels a bit flippant just to suggest that City aren't in one of the elite because they've never done it in Europe. You've got to do it, though, haven't you? That, that's the thing. To be considered to be truly great, then you have to win that, that top honour. However, without that, this City side, when we look back in 10, 20 years' time, you know, will be regarded incredibly fondly. You know, I'm speaking as a neutral here. I'm speaking as someone who regularly pitches up 
watching Manchester City, whether it's at home or away, you know, I'll, I'll look back on the time that, that he was the manager as some of the best football that I've seen in this country. Some of the some of the best players and some of the best football and some of the, you know, some of the most interesting football in terms of the way that they play it. I mean, there've been so many, you know, not not as well as the as well as the steamroller wins and the way that they've done in in that sense, you know, dramatic matches as well and being able to to turn European ties around and and to really stamp their authority on those matches. You know, all, we've seen all sorts of things from this Manchester City um, team under Guardiola. And, and from that point of view, whether they go on to win the Champions League or not, that won't affect it. But I think in order to have their standing uh, in, the, in the history of the, the, the best teams that we've seen in this country, I think you have to do it. Yeah, Kieran. It's uh, you look at um, the argument that Guardiola has has failed with City in Europe. What do you make of that? Because you look at, at, at how he's gone out of the Champions League in, in each of his seasons, and you would say, okay, there's elements of bad luck in there. But you know, it's happened four times now. He, you know, it, it was the away goals thing against uh, Monaco. They capitulated against Liverpool and Anfield. Uh, you know that that balmy second leg they they imploded for twenty minutes against Spurs, and that that pretty much did the damage. And then. Like last season, it was all set up, and you know they go out to a, a Leon side that, let's be honest, they should be beating. Yeah, it really annoys me actually that we've gone out to two French teams and two English teams um, under Guardiola. It just seems that you know on paper we kind of should have been making a better showing of ourselves against <laughs> against those teams. Apologies to uh, any French league supporters, but um, yeah, it's it's. It's the age-old Guardiola thing where we think that he overthinks things sometimes, and never more so does he overthink things on the European stage. Um, But it was really refreshing, actually, a couple of weeks ago against Liverpool, where he didn't overthink anything. He just set us up the way he had been setting us up. And maybe this year, you know, there won't be any overthinking. He'll just just take... You know, there's no kind of heart and passion in, in these European nights anymore. It's just kind of like behind closed doors, you know, 11 against 11 out in the pitch go out there and do a job and I think maybe that's the way uh, maybe that's the way I should do it this year without kind of you know without trying to play players in mad positions he's doing that enough already you know with Cancelo <laughs> and um, without players shifting all over the pitch but just you know maybe this year just stick to what we've been doing that's been working Um but yeah, I, I don't think he can be seen. Well, he can be seen as a complete failure because we haven't really have we could pass quarterfinals no. under under no. Pep. Mm. Um, that's not great, is it? Especially when you know you remember in um, what 10, 10, 11 years ago, you remember watching his his Barcelona and you know just thinking you'll never see a better team in in the Champions League and what he achieved with them and. You know the everlasting images of them lifting the Champions League, and just knowing that the best team by a country mile were winning. You know the best, biggest trophy. Um, I think there's a City fan kind of apathy about it as well. I don't think, I don't think Guardiola plus City has been, you know, an absolute recipe for success in the Champions League either. Um, but if I know Leon were there for the taking and there for the beating, but I think if ever there was a season. That we could do it, it would be this one, but with you know, without fans, without without pressure, just go out there and kind of do the job that we're doing, um, and hopefully the machine will roll on that way. 
Well, uh, let's see. Uh, let's see what you think for Gladbach then, because uh, Sam Roscoe's correct 3-0 prediction for City's match with Spurs, and then David Downey's correct uh, 3-1 prediction for the Everton game means it's two more wins on the charity bet. Uh, it takes our total for this season up to £760. We're collecting for the Christie, which is a cancer treatment hospital in Manchester, uh, and William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single on City's games. Uh, so, John, I'll start with you. What, uh, what score are you going to predict for the uh, City-Arsenal game? I'm going to go 1-1. Uh, 1-1 is uh, 13 to 2 and 65 pounds if you're right and then for uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach hmm. I'm going to go I'm going to go 1-3 uh, so 3-1 to City 3-1 to City is 10 to 1 and 100 pounds if you're right Kieran what are you having for uh, for uh, these two I got them arsed about face the last time I was on do you remember I, I did uh, I, I went for 2-0 um, to two nil against Chelsea and three one against United, and it was the, the wrong way around. Uh, so the right scores in the wrong matches. So I've gone the same score for both three nil. Three nil for the Arsenal game is nine to one and ninety pounds if you're right. And then uh, for the Gladbach game, that is ten to one and hundred pounds if you're right there. Um, I, on the other hand, have gone for three one against Arsenal, which is uh, ten to one and hundred pounds, and two nil against Borussia Mönchengladbach, which is six to one and sixty pounds. Uh, remember, you've got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more information on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. <laughs> Uh, now, I know social media isn't always the best barometer for opinions, and you might struggle to find nuance in 280 characters, but with so many of us online, especially during matches at the moment, it can be hard to ignore sometimes. Recently, you may have seen plenty of opposing fans say that they're not enjoying the way City have played this year. Sam Roscoe's been asking if he should be bothered by that. you think City would be quite easy on the eye right now, wouldn't you? But glance at Twitter during a game or after a big result, and it seems not. The thing I would always say to these opposition fans who say they don't enjoy City winning stuff is, well, good, because it's not for you to enjoy. The only fans whose opinion counts on whether it's entertaining or full of life or soulful or whatever word you want to use the only fans whose opinion on that issue matters is us it's city fans that's city fans dan burke and richard burns richard doesn't think the criticisms about how city have played this season are accurate this is the same kind of football in principle that barcelona were playing under pep that were revered and generally seen as the greatest club side of all time fans fawned all over them so it doesn't really ring true to say that City are boring or soulless. Meanwhile, Dan thinks that tribalism plays a huge part. I remember watching Pep Guardiola's Bayern Munich playing City off the park at the Etihad in the Champions League a few years ago and finding it really frustrating. But, you know, it's great when it's your team passing someone else to death. And I think the idea of City being soulless or their achievements being meaningless is a very convenient lie fans of other clubs tell themselves to make themselves feel better, really. Uh, you know, the idea of neutrality in football is also a bit of a fallacy because it's a very tribal sport and you're never going to be able to please everyone. City certainly aren't pleasing everyone right now. While we've all enjoyed watching Pep Guardiola's side pick apart the rest of the Premier League, others seem to have thrown their toys out of the pram. Dan says it wasn't always like that though. 
I think a lot of people found City's crashing of the top four quite refreshing at first. And of course, you know, very few moments in the, the entire history of football have captured the public's imagination quite like Aguero's winner against QPR. But the longer City have stayed at the top table, the more unwelcome they seem to have become. He thinks there's a few reasons why many feel as they do. You know, I understand the, the amount of money that they've spent to get there is pretty disgusting to some people. But unfortunately, that's the nature of the game now. You know, I, I personally don't think there should be a set hierarchy in football and smaller clubs should be able to challenge the elites. But it's not City's fault that the only way to do that now is by spending hundreds of millions of pounds. And I think if the vast majority of football fans were honest with themselves, they would love to be in City's position. And I think a lot of the criticism comes from a place of jealousy more than anything. Richard agrees that City's financial muscle is probably behind a lot of what shapes popular opinion. But he thinks there might be more to it. They had the reputation, didn't they, of being everybody's second favourite club. And as a City fan growing up, I sort of reveled in that. Like, it was comforting to me that, yes, we were terrible and a bit of a joke, but at least people liked us. And I think maybe opposition fans feel that they've lost that from City. Like, it was it was nice to like City when we were a bit of a joke. It was nice to have them to laugh at, but then say, well, the fans have always been there, though. They're a good club. And now by City being a winning machine that win a trophy most seasons, and that's probably really annoying for people because it's not likeable from the outside. He adds that it often comes back to finances. And, and of course, the money element of it, people, um, people see City spend a lot of money and then believe the narrative that that's why they're successful. And of course, it's a huge, huge part of it, but actually the reality is how well they spent the money. Dan thinks the conversations need to be more nuanced. If City win the title this year, I fully expect the debates about money and human rights in the Middle East and all that to resurface. And, you know, that's fine. I'm not saying we shouldn't have these conversations. I just wish people would be a bit more fair about it and acknowledge that City aren't the only club to have spent a lot of money on route to success and they won't be the last either. And what's also frustrating is that when City wins something, it's treated like it was always inevitable because of the money they've spent. Yet when another club wins a league, it's always seen as this unadulterated triumph and money is never mentioned. But, you know, if it's so easy to... To just simply buy success, then surely City should win the league every season, shouldn't they? He admits that he's given up letting what others think of City cloud his judgment because he thinks that whatever City do, it will never be enough for some people. I definitely think City are always being told they won't be considered a great side until they've done X, Y and Z. You know, when they won the Centurions title, it was, you're not a great side unless you win two in a row. And when they won two in a row, it was, well, now you've got to win the Champions League as well. And I'm sure when City eventually do win the Champions League, the goalposts will move again. And you'll you'll always get people saying, well, United or Liverpool or whoever did it first. And they didn't have to spend billions of oil money or whatever. But... I'm honestly past caring what people say at this point, to be honest. I mean, it's if it helps them sleep at night, then good for them, because we know the truth and we know how City's success has made us feel as fans, and that is ultimately all that matters. If City do go on to lift the title this season, it'll be their third time in four years. Is it that that upsets some fans? Richard Burns wants to remind City fans not to let it bother them. Maybe it's boring seeing the same names towards the top of the Premier League all the time. I, I can't speak for other fans on that one, but... It's not boring for me. I don't think it's boring for many City fans either. So while fans of other teams might be critical, we should remember that, of course, that is what they would say. Football is tribal and it can be difficult to enjoy when you're not winning. The only people that should be enjoying City's success so regularly are those who support the team.
Hi, it's Nicky Weaver, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Sam Roscoe there. Now, uh, it's time to finish with Ask the Panel. Um, send in your questions for next week on Twitter, at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us as well by uh, going and filling the form in on bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, that's what Simon Jones has done on the emails. He says, I'm willing to admit now that I'm feeling pretty confident about City winning back this title, even though I know there's still a long way to go. There you go, John. It's, ju- it's just endemic with that, that feeling. Um, <laughs> if they were to finish this season top, where do you think it would rank among Guardiola's achievements in England? For his first title, he broke so many records and got an unprecedented 100 points. For a second, he got the better of a Liverpool side that pushed them almost to breaking point and kept the team winning even when the tank was almost empty. For this season, he's had to reinvent a team for the first time in his career. Uh, and John, I guess it's a, it's a valid point. Is it? They would be three very different titles. Mm, very. And I think if they did win it this season, say they win it by the mar- you know, say they say they only win it by the margin they've got it now, only in inverted commas. I think to do that when we we just expected this to be a close race because of the, the the season that it's being played in and the circumstances i think if they're able to do that then it's got to be right up there you know it's got to be it's got to have equal standing uh, and i think also being able to being able to put out a team that um in in as i've said already to put out a team where so many players are in form, you know that's not an accident. So I would, I would, I would, I would pretty much give it, if not equal billing, then not far short. Yeah, Kieran, it's. Um, I, I guess for me, it's it's the interesting point of uh, the reinvention because mm-hmm. immediately when you when you think of this season, you go, well, you know, it's not it's not up there with the football they were playing in the hundred points season. It's not up there with the closeness and the, the you know the tension of that eighteen nineteen ding dong battle with Liverpool. And yet, when you take a step back and think about it, you know, he has reinvented this team. That team that played at Everton was all his players. Yeah. Uh, it's an incredible achievement, really. The reinvention, the I think it pinches on the Leicester game. We touched upon it already in the show, um, but when you think about the pre-season that City had, and well, the lack thereof, um, we came into this drastically underprepared. Um, we had a comfortable win over Wolves on the first day, and then the second match day, we were trounced by Leicester at home, and. You know, instantly something had to give there. And there were question marks over Pep Guardiola's job this season. Only the Pochettino got, kind of got the PSG job. Lots of people were thinking, bring bring Pochettino in for Pep. You know, his time's over. He's, you know, it's burnt out. He's lost a dressing room, people were saying. Um, and it's it's been an unbelievable turnaround. Like, literally unbelievable. You can't believe how he's done it. Um, to see out the... The, the games early on and really, really rack up a foundation to drag... Um, I think Sam Lee said in his article this morning after the Everton game that when you look at the back four against uh, Spurs, there were question marks over all four of those players, whether they're going to be at the club. Sinchenko, Stones and Cancelo, there was rumours that they were on their way out and Diaz had only been signed, but he was our third choice centre-back. So, you know, he's he's managed to make that back four... And especially what he's done with Cancelo. But there's also something to be said about John Stones. There's also something to be said about Zinchenko's amazing form. Like, And that's the defence alone. What Guardiola has done. Like, I think that this, this, is a re- this is a weird way to put it. But I think so much of the first two title wins under Pep was just like unbelievable players. Um, you know, at the absolute top of their game. 
and you know he kind of he set them up the way he wanted to and then they did their thing on the pitch and we had some unbelievable kind of like you know five nils six nils seven nils eight nils but i think this season so much of it is rested on guardiola and at his feet alone do you know um I think what the way that he managed the games, and we were hating them. You know, there was no fun in watching City September, October, November. Um, some of the results were dire, but some of the some of the football was just so withdrawn, and we were playing so within ourselves. I think I tweeted at one point, "We look as if we're not even friends." You know, like the, the players don't even look as if they're 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 mates with each other. There was no camaraderie, no spirit, and suddenly he's managed to turn it around and it seems to be just so much on him and he's got the players firing again and City are purring at the minute and it seems to be so much down to him and, and you know how he set us up and how he's managed it it's amazing it would be such an achievement if we win this league this year yeah that's uh, that's I, I think that's a wonderful note to finish on uh, but before we finish we've been nominated for this year's Football Supporters Association Awards in the Best Club Podcast category it's the sixth year running that we've been up for the award and yet we are still yet to win uh, but we're up against new opposition this year so it'd be nice to be beaten by a fresh face at least um, <laughs> this year though for the first time it's a public vote uh, previous years have been judged by a panel from the FSA so it means you can help us out this year just head over to our Twitter feed at Blue Moon Podcast and find one of the tweets where we've linked to the FSA survey and please Please lend us your vote on question four. Uh, the deadline is Monday, so you've not got long. Um, and that's it for this week's Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to listen to a little bit more, then we have a bonus show over on our Patreon page. This week, we're looking at City's German players throughout the club's history, since there's only one player who's featured for both City and Borussia Mönchengladbach recently. Uh, for this week only, the Patreon show is entirely free as well. Uh, you can find more details of that and the extended interview with Michael Ball by going to patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast and signing up to one of the three tiers there. Uh, don't forget if you've enjoyed the show please go and leave it a rating and a review in all the usual places whatever app you're using to listen to us and special thanks to my guests for this week's show Kieran Murray cheers Blue and the BBC football correspondent and commentator John Murray thanks David finally got onto it we got there in the end (laughs) didn't we Um, I'll be back same time next week to reflect on the return of the Champions League so I'll see you then was the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast